Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. This is Felicia Gopal of College Funding Resource, and today I'll actually be the interviewee. And I've got my good friend, Jacqueline Weisner, who is a mortgage broker with PNC. She often, as a mortgage broker, talks to families about what they need to do for college because mortgages and college seem to go hand in hand. So, Jacqueline, welcome and thank you for being on the phone call. And I just want to turn it over to you and you can ask all the questions you want to ask me about the whole college planning and funding process. Okay, well, thank you for having me, Felicia. And as you said, mortgages and college go together because often people are getting their refinanced mortgages to help pay for college, which I've learned from you isn't always the best way to go. So as I ask questions, maybe first you could tell me how you came to specialize in this area. Well, actually, that's a good question, and I'm glad you asked. It turns out that as a certified financial planner, I've been trained to help people save for college. So I had been working with, I've been in the industry for about 15 years, and I've been talking to parents all the time about how to save for college. However, what happened a couple of years ago, I ran into a set of parents who had not saved as much as they wanted to save for college, and they were staring college dead in the face. They had a student that was a junior in high school, and they just didn't have enough time at that point to really do the savings that they wanted to do, so they asked me what to do, and really, I had no options. If you hadn't saved with me, there was really no option. So what I did is I started looking for what sorts of resources, or was there anything that parents in that particular position could go to, and what I found is there's quite a few resources, and if you understand the process, then I can help parents navigate and go through the whole college planning and funding process. So there are options for parents who had waited or hadn't had the opportunity to save, but it's a matter of finding out what they are and then being able to kind of move forward and take advantage of them. Wow. Well, parents not being prepared or having saved is a big issue, I know, but you're saying there are resources, but really, should all students attend college? Oh, now that's a loaded question. And the question is, I'm going to actually turn it around. And when I talk to my parents and my students, when I'm working with them, is I'm going to ask the kids, the students three questions. I'm going to ask them, why do you want to go to college? So the fact that, you know, mom and dad are telling you you want to go to college is not a compelling reason to go to college from my particular perspective. The fact that you want to go to a college as far away from your parents as possible is also not a compelling reason to go to college. And the fact that all of your friends are going to college is, again, not a compelling reason to go to college. I want the students to demonstrate and explain to me and to their parents 
why they want to go to college, what's important about going to college for them. I'm also going to ask them a question of what school do you want to attend and why. You know, when I was looking at colleges years ago, one of the colleges I wanted to go to was Ohio State. It's got a fine football program, and that's why I wanted to go. Now, I've got a dad who's an accountant. And so when I told my dad, you know, I really want to go to Ohio State, and he asked me why, I said, well, they've got a good football program. That was not a compelling reason for him. He was not going to open up his checkbook and write me a check to attend Ohio State because they got a good football program. What I want to hear is I want to hear that they've thought through and had come up with some decisions about why they want to go to college. I also ask them what major they want to pursue, and I'm going to ask them why they want to pursue a major. Is it because you have an interest in this, it's because you are good in this area. I want them to be able to articulate to me, at least as much as a 17-year-old can articulate, why they want a particular major. So no, I don't believe that all students should go to college. And if they can't answer those three questions, why do you want to go to school, what college do you want to attend, and what major are you interested in pursuing, I think there's some more work that the students are going to need to do because we all know that college is an investment. And it's also a partnership. And the student's role in the partnership is to be active in the college planning and admission process. And answering those questions and having really good answers is them showing that they are interested, they're committed to attending college. Of course, as part of their partnership, one of their other things is they've got to get the best grades possible, participate in extracurricular activities, take the SATs and all the various different tests, and so that's their role. Their parents, on the other hand, have got a role in the partnership in being active in their student's education. You don't wait to the last minute to become active when your student's a junior or a senior. You want to be active all along. You're going to help your students develop values and position your child to be an asset in a, a student body. At least that's my opinion about what it is. I've got two very young children. I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and that's really what I'm trying to instill. You ask my daughter, what's her job? and she'll tell you, my job is to be a good student. So, you know, I'm training her from a very young age to be a good student and to be an asset to a college class. Well, I think a lot of parents can really appreciate that perspective and the fact that you're asking those questions because often they aren't asked or they're just not asked enough. And kids have a way of dismissing parents, but when an outside resource begins to look at those issues and ask students to really give some feedback, I think it gives a very powerful perspective as well as insight into how a student is thinking and where they're trying to go. Well, and I think the other piece to that is the whole investment piece that I was talking about, college being an investment. You're asking parents to sometimes pay 10000 or even more out of pocket. If you're talking about making that type of investment, then you want to know that your students are committed to completing it. I don't know about you, but even if it was $10,000 that I'm being asked to put aside, over four years, that's $40,000. I've got two kids. That's $80,000. I'm going to want them to be pretty committed to completing their education in a timely manner. And one of the ways that I do that in my practice is asking the questions. I see. Well, of course, in my business, as I mentioned, often parents resort to refinancing their homes and taking money out of there 
to pay for the college, which really isn't the best game plan. From your vantage point, how much financial aid is available? Well, the good news is there's billions of dollars out there. Last I checked, it was about $130 billion was available for financial aid. Now, when you hear that, the thing to remember, there's a lot of people competing for that $130 billion. And if you look at the statistics, you'll find that over 51% of the money that came from financial aid came from student loans. So while there's a lot of money available, there's a lot of people competing for it, and the first line of defense for any kind of aid or money for college is going to have to come from the parents and the students themselves. Okay, but tell me about the financial aid process. I mean, that sounds like a lot of money. How do I get my piece of it if I'm trying to get into college? Well, let me kind of step back and tell you when I think about and I talk to families, I've kind of got them in three different categories. There's the students who are going to qualify for lots of financial aid at the right schools. A second group of parents and students are going to qualify for financial aid at some of the schools that they're applying to. And then there's some families that are not going to qualify for any need-based financial aid at any of the schools that they're applying for. Now, remember when I say this, I'm talking about need-based aid. That doesn't mean that you might not get merit-based aid. But when I'm planning for and working with a family, I can't know that you're going to get merit-based aid. But I can tell you with a good sense of accuracy whether or not you're going to get any need-based aid based on the schools that you're looking for. So remember I was talking at the beginning of our conversation today, Jacqueline, about the fact that there's a partnership. I forgot to mention that there's actually one other partner in this partnership. So it's the student, of course, There's the parents' role in this, and then there's the college's role in this. The college's role in the partnership is to put together a diverse student body. They want to make sure that they've got students who reflect the values of the institution and will be a positive contribution to the student body. It's important to the colleges. But when I think about financial aid in this whole area, I want to make parents aware of not all colleges are going to be good partners. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that, Jacqueline, is the fact that some schools are not going to be able to help you and put together a financial aid package that will give you all the financial aid that you're going to need in order to go to that school comfortably. As we talk a little bit later, I'll kind of circle back around to really kind of demonstrate how that might work. So there's three different pieces to a partnership. There's the students, the parents, and the colleges. Very good. Now, what types of families can use your services? Well, I actually can work with any of those three families, those families that are going to qualify for lots of financial aid, those families that are going to qualify for some financial aid, and those families who aren't going to qualify for any need-based financial aid. I can actually work with any of those families because it really starts with understanding the process. I can help any family understand the process. And for applying for financial aid, the process starts with the FAFSA form, the free application for federal student aid. You can fill it out both online and you can also fill it out in paper. If you fill it out online, you would go to www.fafsa.ed.gov. 
and then you can fill out the form online. For those people who don't have access to a computer at home, you can always fill it out on paper, or you can go to a library and complete the worksheets online, or get the worksheets online and then complete it at the library. I've used that in the past. My daughter has graduated now from college, but it's a rather complicated form, and it seems to me having that assistance getting through it can make a big difference in just accurately getting your information across. What would you think of that? Well, I think that that's true. They say the statistics tell us that over 90% of the FAFSA forms go in with errors. So there's a lot of people who are making mistakes when filling out the FAFSA form. So certainly a person in my position could certainly help navigate that. But I can actually help you do a little bit more about that. After you fill out the FAFSA form, what you end up, the government basically processes it, and then they give you your expected family contribution, your EFC. Your EFC then goes to the families and the colleges themselves. It goes to the families to let them know how much they're going to be expected to pay out of pocket before any financial aid kicks in. And it goes to the colleges to let them know that the students are applying there and they're looking for financial aid. After that process, then the colleges award students financial aid. And given your particular circumstances, if the financial aid that you are offered is not sufficient, you may be able to appeal that process. But in terms of that process, it seems like it can be awfully time-consuming. How much time do you really have to give to it? Well, I'm not sure that the the federal government has filled out their forms recently, but what they tell us is it should take about a couple hours to fill out the forms. Now, (laughs) most people say that it takes them considerably more in terms of having to gather all the assets. And if you go to that FAFSA website that I told you about, they'll actually give you a list of all the items that you should have on hand in order to fill it out. Typically, when I'm doing them, I would take about an hour to complete it, but I've been doing them for a while. So it just kind of depends on your circumstances about what a good handle you've got on it in order to kind of move forward. The information that you're going to need for your expected family contribution in order to do that is both the parents and the student's income, the assets of the parents and the student. Of course, you need to know the size of your family, how many people are in school, the age of the oldest parent. Those are all the factors that go into calculating your expected family contribution. I see. And is there a certain timing for getting that in, mailing it in versus waiting up to a later date? What would be ideal? Well, the ideal thing is to make sure you get it in before the deadline. (laughs) But the first time that you can complete the FAFSA form is actually after January 1st in your senior year. So that's the first time. What I tell people who are applying to multiple schools is to make sure your FAFSA is in by the first deadline of all the schools. So say somebody's got a January 15th deadline by getting the FAFSA in, another one's got a February 1st, and the other one says you can wait until March 1st. Well, then you've got to get it in for that January 15th date, because if it's in for the 15th, then it's also in for all of the other dates that follow. So it's important to make sure that you don't miss deadlines, because missing deadlines mean missing money for you. And if you're in a position where you're going to need the financial aid that might potentially be offered, you want to make sure that you get it in by the deadlines. Okay. Well, we keep hearing financial aid, but grants, 
loans, scholarships, all of that falls under a financial aid. What's the difference between them and advantages of them? Well, grants and scholarship is free money. So every parent I know wants free money. If I was to go down and ask any parent, do you want some free money, they would all say, absolutely, give me as much as you can possibly give me. So grants and scholarships are about free money. There's basically a number of different kinds of grants out there. There's the Pell Grant and the SEOG Grant. Both of those are need-based grants. There's also some fairly new ones, which is the Academic Competitiveness Grant, which is offered to students who are seniors in high school who are going into college, and basically what they're looking for is the federal government is looking for students who have an aptitude and an interest in going into the sciences, and they're also looking for students who've maintained a certain grade point average. So that's the Academic Competitiveness Grant. They now offer the National Science and Math Access to Retain Talent. That's the SMART grant, and that's offered in latter part of your college education. And if you are pursuing a degree in certain maths and sciences, then you have the opportunity to qualify for the SMART grant. Don't forget that colleges themselves may offer grants, as well as many of the states offer grants to students who are attending schools in their state. So don't forget that potential place for grants. The other thing that parents always want to know about is scholarships. I've got some bad news about scholarships, and my bad news about scholarships is only about 2%. So I remember I told you that $130 billion in financial aid out there and available in the last year for financial aid. Of that, only 2% of it came from scholarships. So there's a lot of financial aid out there, but most of the money is not coming from scholarships. Now, I say that not to discourage you from applying for scholarships and pursuing scholarships, but just so that you're aware of the impact of scholarships probably on your financial aid package. There may be some people who get lots of scholarships, but Alliance Bernstein did a uh, survey, and they basically surveyed parents and asked them, what do you expect to get for financial aid? And what they found is most parents were overestimating how much they were going to get in scholarship and grants. The free money, they completely overestimated how much they were going to receive. So that's the bad news. Now, the good news is there is lots and lots of scholarship money out there. One of the best resources for finding that is your community, people you know. I tell people that when I was applying for a college, my mother was in a sorority. So you got the sororities scholarship, and all of my friends and nieces and nephews and stuff like that, they all got a scholarship from that particular organization. You know, I know people who work for specific employers. I have a really good girlfriend out in uh, California. Her husband works for one of the major Silicon Valley companies. They offered scholarships to students of employees. So go after the easy money. You know, if your church offers money, I have taught for the last couple of years a program, or I've spoken at the National Association of Black Accountants has a summer program here in my area, and it's a training program to basically introduce students to the concept of accounting and finance as potential majors. 
Well, they typically will have anywhere between 50 and 60 students in their summer programs. Despite the fact that they tell them we've got scholarship money available, apply for it, and the students are very familiar with it, they still don't apply. And I think that that's unfortunate. They've got money that they're planning on giving away. They would love to give away to the people who participate in another program, and they just don't have enough applications to give away all the money that they intended to give away in a year. So when you think about scholarships, I tell people to remember that it takes time to apply for scholarships. So what I usually suggest you do is in your junior year, start to identify and look for scholarships that you might want to apply for and put together basically a spreadsheet that talks about such and such deadline. Ask for the application so that you have a sense of what sorts of things they offer. A lot of scholarships don't change very much from year to year in terms of what they're offering. If you need to get, and you often will have to get letters of recommendation, go ahead and get your letters of recommendation prior to actually applying for these and then kind of spreadsheet it out so that you're ready and you're able to get the deadlines. One of the things that I think is very unfortunate is around September, October, I start getting emails from friends and family who know that this is what I do, and they're saying, you know, so-and-so is giving away a scholarship. Send this out to all the seniors you know that might qualify. Well, they know I know a lot of seniors. The unfortunate part about that is by the time I get it, they just don't have a whole lot of time to put it together, to put together their best program. What I'm suggesting is it gives you a year to put together all the things that you're going to need to do in order to have the best chance of getting a scholarship. So I think that that's one of the ways that you can load the deck in your favor for scholarships. I see. And rumor has it that scholarships or grants somehow impact the amount of loan that's available or has some sort of negative value when compared to the loan amount? Is that true? I'm not exactly sure what you mean, but one of the things that I think is sometimes a surprise in terms of scholarships is they have inside scholarships and outside scholarships. An outside scholarship would be a scholarship that you receive from someplace outside of your college. And if you get a scholarship that is an outside um, scholarship, and sometimes what it does is it reduces the amount of financial aid that you may qualify for. So a lot of parents think that if I get $5,000 scholarship, then that means that's $5,000 that I don't have to pay. No, it's more like along the lines of that's $5,000 the school doesn't have to give you. So they take that $5,000 and they use it to reduce how much they would give you in financial aid. It never affects your expected family contribution. Your expected family contribution is your expected family contribution. It's how much you're going to be expected to pay for college, no matter what college you go to. I see. Okay. Well, Felicia, you have really covered a lot of territory in a short amount of time. I know that there are going to be other questions that I have, but at the moment that pretty much covers what I wanted to get more insight about. Well, let me. Are talk there anything? Yeah, anything that you think I should consider before we end this? 
absolutely, there's a couple things that I want to kind of leave with you. One is I just want to kind of talk about loans. So I told you in 51% of the money that is used for financial aid comes from loans. So I want to talk to you about some of the loan programs that are out there. One is the Stafford loan. There's both a subsidized and an unsubsidized. The subsidized means that the federal government pays the interest while you're in school, and the unsubsidized means that either you pay it while you're in school or you just add it to the end of the loan when you graduate. Now, a lot of parents are like, I don't necessarily want my students to take out a student loan. I have a different thought as far as that's concerned. And my thought is I want the students to have some skin in the game. So the minimum that you can take out when you're a freshman is $3,500 in a Stafford loan. I almost make it a requirement that all of my students have to take out $3,500 in student loans so that they're aware that they are on the hook about paying some of this back. No matter what they do in school, they're going to have to pay some of this back. It kind of gets their attention, and it makes them understand that an education is very, very important, and we want you to understand that you are going to have to do something in order to pay for your education. It's not just mommy and the schools paying for it. There's also a Perkins loan. A Perkins loan is a need-based loan. So if you have a lot of need, you may qualify for a Perkins loan. For the parents, we also have the PLUS loan, the parents loan for undergraduate students. Now, the thing that's interesting about the PLUS loan is it's a credit-based loan, but you can take out a lot of it. So if you had were attending a school that cost $25,000, for instance, and you got $10,000 of aid, then you can take out a loan for $15,000. So you can take up to the cost of school minus any financial aid. That's how much you can take out in a student loan. So you can, over the four years, if you're a student in school for four years, that means that you can take out about $60,000. Again, let's think about my circumstance. I've got two children. That means that I'm taking out $120,000 in loans. Not something I necessarily want to consider. So while you can take it out, the question that you always have to ask yourself is, does that make sense? Because the thing about loans to be careful about and the thing I want parents to remember is right after you finish paying for your kid's education is your own retirement, and there is no loan (laughs) program for your own retirement. So you don't want to definitely get yourself into a situation by taking out too much in loans to pay for your kid's education. They can always get loans. There's all sorts of options for them, but there's no options for you as a parent in retirement. There's two other loans that I'd like to kind of talk about. One is the Graduate Plus Loan. It's a fairly new loan. It came out in the last couple of years. You could take it out for the entire cost of your college minus any financial aid. So it's a good little program. One of the things that you're seeing increasingly is the alternate loans or educational loans, student loans. And those are loans that are, again, credit-based. They're in the name of the student. However, most 18-year-olds don't have very much in ways of credit history. So they often will require a co-signer for them. But again, I urge you to consider the same thing that you considered for the parents, which is to think about how much 
debt the students can service once they leave school. So if a student is in a major that will probably mean that they get out of school making about $30,000, $35,000, you don't want them to come out of school with $100,000 worth of debt. That will strangle them. So as you start to think about these processes, think about the impact of not just today in terms of taking out student loans, but also think about its future impact. The future earnings of the students are very, very important. So those are all the things that I really wanted to make sure that I covered inside of that. But there's basically I want to leave with five action steps. First of all, no matter where you are in this process, do what you can now. Don't beat yourself out about what you didn't do, what you wanted to do, or any of those sorts of things. Start where you are now, but make sure that it's not at the expense of your own retirement. Help your students focus on a major. Have them narrow down choices. What are they interested in? What are they good at? Have them take assessments in order to do that. Talk to their teachers. Talk to them about what sorts of things are you interested in, and then start to look at majors that support that, and then also go the next step and think about what types of careers might I get into and what types of income. So it's kind of a multi-stepped process because it's not just going away to college. It's about that first job out of school. You know, I'm not asking a 17-year-old, 18-year-old to make a decision that's a lifetime decision, but I am asking them to consider what do they want to do when they first get out of school. The next thing is find out what your expected family contribution is before you're about to go off to college. I tell people no matter how old your kids are, go ahead, get on www.fasaforecaster, that's F-A-S-S-A, forecaster, the number four, caster, C-A-S-T-E-R.com. And basically, if you go on there, then you'll be able to find out, get a good idea of your expected family contribution. In addition to that, you'll have a pretty good idea of your eligibility for any financial aid. That's good information to have now because that'll give you enough information to maybe make some different choices. If you're not going to qualify for as much financial aid as you thought you were going to qualify for, then you need to know that so that you may be able to make different choices right now about how how you allocate your money so that you're saving more. Make sure that you also investigate the policy of the school. Not all schools are good financial partners. What I mean by that, and this is what I talked about a little earlier, there's the cost of college. The cost of the average college, and I'm going to round this off to make my math easy, the cost of the average four-year public school is about $15,000. The cost of the average a private school is about $30,000. Say that your expected family contribution is $10,000. So $15,000 for a four-year private college minus $10,000 means that your expected family contribution is $5,000. Now, if you were looking at a private school that costs double that, Sometimes one of the choices that parents make is, well, you know, you need to concentrate on the public school and they won't even let their students apply for private colleges. Well, private college, it's $30,000. You've still got $10,000 of expected family contribution. What in that case is your total need? 30000 minus 10. 30. 
Right, so $20,000. $20,000 is your total need at the private school. It's $5,000 at the public school for your, in my example, mm-hmm. and it's $20,000 at the other school. So despite the fact that the college was double the price, how much you're expected to pay is exactly the same. So when I talk about all schools not being good partners, what you may find is, in my example, say that that school, the public school, is not in a position to pay all of your need. So instead, they can only give you $3,000 worth of financial aid. So you still have a $2,000 gap. Now, let me ask you a question, Jacqueline. Who do you think is going to have to pay that $2,000, you or the school? Sounds like I might have to do it. You're going to have to pay it. So instead of a $10,000 expected family contribution, you're now going to have to go $12,000 out of pocket because the school cannot afford to give you that extra $2,000. Now, if we went and looked at a private school, a private school might be in a position, and not all of them are, might be in a position to put together a financial aid package that uncovers the entire need. So you had $20,000 worth of need. So in that case, they're going to put together a financial aid package that covers the entire thing, and Mm -hmm. you are still only going to have to pay $10,000. That's why you often hear people like myself talking about go ahead and apply to private schools because you never know what type of financial aid package they're going to put together for you. And if that college has a policy of meeting every bit of your need over and above your expected family contribution, it may be better for you financially than attending the state college. But the only way you're going to know that is ask the questions. You've got to ask the colleges what's your policy. Is your policy to meet 100% of the need or not? I think that's an excellent point, and we've been hearing more about how some of the top schools, private schools, are either offering no-need scholarships or even special programs for the low- to moderate-income people who would like to send their children there but couldn't afford forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000 a year. So those are excellent points that you're making to just basically try anyway. Absolutely. I have a really good niece, and she went to Harvard. But I remember when she got admitted to Harvard, my auntie went around saying, you know, she got admitted to Harvard. We haven't seen a financial aid package yet. Will you be able to lend me some money to send her to college? You know, and, of course, everybody wants to send the kid to Harvard, so everybody made the commitment that they were going to do it. But Harvard put together a phenomenal financial aid package. So even though she was a single parent, she was still able to get all of her need other than her expected family contribution covered. And my niece was able to graduate from Harvard. You can't beat that. One of the special programs that a lot of people have heard about is both Princeton and Harvard are now putting together for low to moderate um, families financial aid packages that don't include any loans. So you can graduate from Princeton, Harvard, some of these other schools and have nothing that's owing in loans. That's huge. Amazing. That's huge. They say that about 23000 the average student carries about $23,000 worth of debt at a private school when they graduate. That's a lot of debt. That's oh, an yeah. awful lot of debt. So I just wanted to make sure that you understood that. Two other points that I'd like to kind of bring up is 
Don't give up on getting financial aid. I have 159 different strategies that I might be able to employ on various people's circumstance in order to come up with a solution that works for your family and your family's cash flow and commitments. So make sure that you ask for the help that you need. And the help that you need in this area is really people who are certified college planning specialists like myself because we've basically been trained to help parents assess and put together plans that help them pay for college. Excellent. Excellent. Boy, I really wished we had met before my daughter went to college, Felicia. I can't tell you how many people tell me that. (laughs) A huge difference, I'm sure. I might have been planning that retirement instead of planning my next five work years. Yeah. That's it can, wonderful. It, it can make a huge difference. If you can reduce the cost that you pay for a student's income, that basically means that if you would have more money in your pocket to plan for your own retirement. And that's really, for me, the end game for this. It's not just about helping the students go through college, though I think that that's key and critical, but it's also helping their parents navigate and get ready for retirement. And don't let college keep them from having a successful and comfortable retirement. Well, one thing has come to mind, Felicia, that we've gone on. When you're applying for college, often people think if I have to apply for financial aid at the same time or that my admission to the college will impact my financial aid. Is there any correlation between the two things or are they separately evaluated? What colleges will communicate to you is that they're separately evaluated. (laughs) I don't have any evidence that is contrary to that, but I will tell you that sometimes things like early admission can have an impact because you're locked in with the early admission to attending that school. So the school knows that you're going to attend that school no matter what because that's what you promised to do. Now, of course, there's ways to kind of wiggle out of that, but in general, the commitment is that you're going to do that. And often what we see is some of the financial aid packages for people who go that route are a little bit skimpier than we believe they might have been if they had gone regular admission. I see. Very important point. Okay. Well, Felicia, thank you so much. This has been quite thought-provoking. So do you think that this is great information and information that your clients could use? Well, I just appreciate being more aware and able to address their questions to me and most importantly having someone that I know can really help them through this process that I can refer them to. Often as I said people are looking to use their homes sort of as their backup for college but I know that's really not the best way to use the equity in your house and if there are additional ways that you can get financing for college all the better. And part of what I'd like to be able to do is give people suggestions on how to make their financial choices and where to go to get the help. So this has been immeasurably helpful. The action plans, 159 strategies. Sounds like we can cover almost anyone who's trying to get financial aid coming up with some suggestion as to what they could do. And then bottom line, try Regardless of the college, the kind of tuition that's required, just try. And, of course, 
talk to Felicia. Well, Jacqueline, I was glad to share this information with you, and I thank you very much for your time. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted about this, and I look forward to another opportunity to have more questions answered as well. Thank you so much, Felicia. Not a problem. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast. 